You only get into out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm -hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much. Yeah. Somebody said the football is a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Hello and welcome to Man Marking, Series 2, Episode 3. Let's see who we've got on the show today. Brilliant. No one no one told us you look like Olivier Giroud, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have been called Davo Suka many a time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just buttoning you up at the start. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, obviously, my name's John Macken, Jonathan Macken. Uh, I'm from Manchester. Uh, I grew up, uh, so my dad was a big City fan, so I grew up obviously going to watch City games and that, and then I signed for Man United and, you know, followed them uh, later, later stages. Uh, and that's it, really. You know, I started playing at Manchester United when I was uh, 16, left school. Uh, went through their youth system to the, the getting offered the professional terms and uh, then had a career for 20 years, 20 plus years. So joining me today, as usual, the gruesome twosome. We've got Ryan Pulford, we've got Ant Olsen. Fellas, how are we? Good. Not happy being called a, uh, one of the gruesome twosome, though. Yeah, to be honest with you, it feels more harsh on Ryan than it does on you, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You've saved yourself there, Dan, so I'll just not say anything. I'm good, mate, though. How are you? Yeah, not so bad, mate. Not so bad. Um, we did a little uh, social distancing, little longies session in the park the other day didn't we Ryan dusted off the old boots if it wasn't safe social distancing um, then it would have been by the time you retrieved my passes so yeah <laughs> it, it was quite good to um, to get out there and, and kick, kick a ball away it's been yeah, a while yeah. yeah it was lovely so anyway enough of that and John Macken you want to invite him to the homecoming dance he's your new squeeze very handsome wasn't he oh he's lovely looking lad wasn't he super Johnny Macken um, oh, John, he was, he's a great player um, and he was someone who we, we really wanted to get in touch with just to, because we'd realised that he'd, he'd been through these these big clubs and these big managers and when we read some of the stuff out, particularly when we read out his, um, his trip to the England um, Youth Team World Cup yeah. and some of the players like they must have played against, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it was so filthy, wasn't it? Strange. I think that's the only word for it, filthy. It was filthy. Uh, it was Pablo Aymar playing, David Trezeguet, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. imagine leaving the Calme out. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously we've got a we've got a theme this episode. Ryan, do you want to tell the listeners what this week's theme is? Yeah, this week's theme is injuries, regrets, and scoring in a derby. And by the way, what a derby to score in when you're a supporter of. Of the blue side of Manchester. I know it wasn't bad. We'll obviously be touching on that in today's episode. But if you a, a, a question for you lads, then as both of you, obviously all three of us are Tramway fans, if you could score in one game, and it can be a Tramway game or a non-Tramway game, what would the game be? Football romantic in me would try and pick a lesser side in a city that's maybe um, 
had decades of, of a bit of torment and hurt by the neighbours. I know the obvious choice would be Everton there, but I'm not going to go there with our alliances to Tramia. If I, I'd love to score the winning goal for Ipswich against Norwich. Yeah, That's they've all been for years, have they? Years and years of hurt. Do you know the derby, that, the one that I'd go for, and it's only because whenever you see it on the telly, there's just absolute scenes in the away end when they score. Is either hearts at Hibs or Hibs at hearts. Yeah. Just always seems to be, you know, those like limbs videos. Just seems to be ludicrous amounts of limbs in both of those fixtures. Imagine doing the uh, the Glasgow derby, but to stop the other one winning the league. <laughs> you could do it in like sort of maybe mid January and like scream down the camera to put yourself ahead in the league. <laughs> then, um, you can't leave that in. Leave whatever I fucking want in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's quite enough from us quite enough from me and the lads here's John Macken's interview yeah so you just mentioned there that you, you started your professional career at Manchester United um, obviously a big period for them in the 90s what was that like as a young lad being at the club at the time uh, well it was it was good it was successful you know I was there when Obviously, I'd come in at 16 years of age from school into a very successful period, you know, with some unbelievably talented players. Uh, the, it was the youth team, I, I think the, the, the year before, I, before I, I, I went into it, it was like A and B team at the time, the youth system. Uh, I just won the youth, uh, the youth Cup. So it was a very successful period and it was a period of... Uh, I suppose high-profile players to become uh, at that at that stage. It was it, it, listen. It was it, I'd say it wasn't intimidating. Intimidating, sorry, at the time because it was you was young. You know, you was going into it and you was you was looking forward to the experience. And it was uh, it was just one that you really wanted to to start sooner rather than later. And when you got into it, when you first went into you know the first week of training, you was. Uh, you certainly knew you was in for it wasn't going to be as easy as going out and having a kick around with your mates and playing on a Saturday and a Sunday. You know, it was it was it was it was proper. It was a real uh, training program. It was it was in, it was intense, so so to speak, in terms of what they expected of you and, and where they believed you could uh, go to. You know, and, yeah. and where they, and and, the, and it was always it was always focused on. This is the first team. This is your standard. This is where you've got to set your standard. This is the levels that you need to be at from a very early age. You know, you've got to have uh, you've got to have the right morals. You've got to have the right character. You've got to have the right belief, and you and you've got to push yourself, uh, and you've got to be able to take the you know the good with the with the bad, uh, yeah. and and that was it was from, from you know from day one we was really really uh, pushed in that in that that way really that area. No, definitely, and obviously, you probably you were just a few years behind the first real wave of that United youth team coming through uh, the class of '92, so to speak. So, when you made the decision to to move over to Preston, was that really just to to kickstart your career? And uh, did you think at that point you might not have got near the first team picture, or was you just eager to play at that point? It was. I was. <coughs> excuse me. I was eager to play. I mean. When I was doing well in the youth team, I was doing well in the reserves, so I was progressing quite well. And, and you know, when you when you're playing in the reserves, and you know, I was playing with some very talented lads who was going on, you know, making the first team debuts and and so on. I think my decision at the time to to leave Man United, uh, 
uh, and go to Preston, it was based on, yeah, I wanted to go and have a career. Do I believe I would have gone and made my debut for Manchester United? Yeah, absolutely. You know, because many of my friends went on and, and achieved that. Uh, it was in my age bracket uh, and, and teams. But I believed at that particular time, for me, it would have been better to, to move on, you know, and, and, and go and try and find a career myself and, and not wait around for another year, two years in the reserves and, you know, in and out. Because and, you, you, you never know what could have happened in, in that. So I, I, I was always brave enough, I suppose, to, to take that decision. You know, and, yeah. and you know, and it was me. I, I made the decision on my own. It was you know, Preston come calling, so I, I wanted to go and see what they had to say, and I was uh, I was brave enough to go and do that at a young age. That, that's interesting you say that. Um, obviously, you had a successful time in the reserves and youth team. I think you went as part of an England group at nineteen ninety seven as well. You, you hadn't actually had a loan spell, had you? So you, was that possibly on the cards, or was you always eager to just find a permanent move? No, well, listen, if, if I would have stayed at Manchester United, because uh, they did offer me a, a contract, which I'd, you know, I'd more or less agreed to to sign the contract before I went to Preston, it was a case of, well, if they would have asked me to go out on loan, then, you know, I would have done that because it was it was natural. It wasn't really, I mean, when you when you coming through Manchester United, it wasn't really decisions that you was making yourself, you know, it was always the coaches who was there, like the Eric Harrison, your Jim Ryan's, your... You know, obviously the, the boss, Alex Ferguson, the gaffer, he, they was making decisions for you. They was basically telling you because people would ring them and ask their advice on on certain players and individuals. Do you think he could come in and play and, and you know, be successful for us and help us out? Uh, so it was always decisions that they was, not they, they was making, but they was giving you the option and basically telling you, we think it's a good opportunity for you if it was to go out on loan. In my case, <clears throat> it was... It was basically, I didn't get any any communication from the coaches to tell me Preston was interested. Preston run me direct, and I went and met him, you know. So it was uh, it, it wasn't the advice that I was getting from the coaches. Although, if the if I'm sure if it would have been ringing Man United and then asking their opinion, they would have given their opinion about you know Preston North End going to sign and so forth. But. In my case, it was obviously I'd just come back from the World Cup, Malaysian World Cup under-20s with England, and uh, I got the phone call, and basically the degree contract, and I went up there, and, and, and the rest is history. You know, I signed, I signed that day. Yeah, we had we had a little nose at that World Cup before, me and the lads, and tell you what, there was some players at that tournament, wasn't there? <laughs> there was. I mean, it just it's funny, you know, you're talking about this now. It was only the other day that me... My son was telling me about uh, FIFA 20 or something like this come out now, and Bukelmi's on there, you know, as a yeah. legend player. And I said, I'm sure he played in the World Cup when I was there. That was and, one of the uh, names that stuck out to us with Pablo Aymar. I think Argentina won it, didn't they? They won it, yeah. They played yeah. us in, I think it was a quarterfinals, I think, and they beat us 2-0 or 2-1, I think it was at the time. Uh, but there were some, some stars in that. Absolutely, there were some stars in that. It was... Uh, it was... It was, I think, the French team. When you look at the French team in, in that as well, that was a, that was ridiculous as well. Yeah, they had their treasure again on way up front, and then they won the World Cup the following year. And I think there was actually quite a few players who had played in the World Cup for various nations who appeared in that tournament. So the standard was was ridiculously high. Yeah. What what was that transition like going from a youth team reserve player to being in the the first team group at um, Preston then and being in the changing rooms with a lot of the senior pros? It was difficult. 
I've, I've, you know, I don't. I've always said this. It wasn't. It wasn't a transition that was smooth and simple because, you know, like I said, I was going from Manchester United, A team, B team, reserves, being very successful and winning the majority of games that we was involved in, you know, and, and scoring goals and, and, and having opportunities to score goals and play with these fantastic players. And, you know, when you when you go and you're, you're in the midst of uh, changing rooms of, you know, real characters and real men and people who are fighting for that one position to go and, you know, pay the bills and, and further their own career. It was it was certainly an eye opener, but it was like I said, you know, it was one that I was I was I'd never shied away from because it was challenging. It was very challenging at first, but it was I've always believed that I've been brave enough to, you know, like I say, take the knocks and take the criticism and and, and move forward and, and try and, you know, progress and try and become better because of that reason. Uh, but it was it was challenging when I first went in. I think I think the the, the fitness stage of it as well, the, you know, the intensity stage of it. Because when you're playing in these you know reserve games and and I won't say reserve as much as the A and B teams, the intensity is not as it wasn't as severe, you know, and the emotional side of it as well, you know, that played a big part. Because when you when you're playing with your friends who you've grew up with through Manchester United, you know, the youth system and stuff, and you're playing on a Saturday, and yeah, and you. You know, ultimately, we was winning more games than we was losing. It was the emotion. It was all success and it was all good. You know, and when when you first went into Preston, we wasn't. You know, we didn't. We meant that many games when I first went there. So the emotional side of it and the emotional state of it was was a difficult thing to to grasp and to come to terms with at first. Yeah, I can I can, I can imagine. And I suppose the beauty of the decision you made is it, it paid off. You ultimately were very successful at Preston, scored a lot of goals, and found yourself at Manchester City on the back of, at that time, what was quite a big money move. Um, £5 million back to, back to your home city. How, what was that experience like and what, what was your family's thought at the time? When it first came around, obviously, we was doing, we was doing really well at Preston. The team, the, the club was progressing massively. You know, we was, we was, uh, we was quite successful. You know, we was uh, really pushing for, once again, trying to get in the playoffs and trying to get up there. And then... Uh, we obviously played Man City the, the a couple of weeks before, and like I said, you know, I followed him with my dad. My dad was a big supporter of him. A lot of my friends was was big, big supporters of Man City. You know, going week in, week out, and it was it was a move that I was never going to turn down. If I'm honest, I so mean, did you, was you back to support Manchester City at that stage then? <laughs> I, I, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, soon as I, I mean, sometimes you've got to realise. I mean, when when clubs like Manchester City are coming into you, and at, at the time, you know, there was big players there. The manager, obviously, Kevin Keegan, massive attraction attraction as well. You was, uh, you, you know, you're going to take advantage of that. And I mean, uh, David Moyes as well. To be fair to him, he, he was he kind of knew that he, they couldn't turn the da- it down as well. Preston North End, they couldn't. The, the, he seen the progression for myself at that time as well, being. Obviously, trying to go to a club that was going for the Premiership, that was more than like certainty to get promotion that year and playing the pre- and playing the Premier League. So it was something that I was I was I won't say I was itching to do because I was really enjoying my time at Preston. I loved every single minute of it, but it was something that you know when 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 you get that transfer fee and when you get that opportunity, you know it's very very difficult to turn that down. No, of course, and and we often talk about price tags of players and pressures. As somebody who's been through that, is there a pressure attached to it? Do you feel more pressured than when you you know somebody's paid a large fee for you to go and, and score goals essentially there? 
Uh, well, I think there was, I think there's always a bit of pressure. You know, when you go in as a striker to a new club uh, for at the time, I think it was their record signing. Uh, so there's always going to be that added little bit of uh, pressure. I think there's a little bit of pressure because obviously it was my hometown club. I've got a lot of people who support them and, and friends and, and family. Uh, but in terms of being in terms of being a professional, like you you know you try and set out and you try and be, you just try and put that to one side. You know you try and deal with that on the pitch because once you're on the pitch, you be, you know you believe your your ability is going to stand out and you're going to be able to be a success. I mean, you, you don't go there fearful of, of the opportunity that's that's been placed in front of you because if you do that, then, you know, you're never going to get out of first gear, are you? You're going to be, you know, stuck in neutral all the time because you're never going to get started. So that's yeah. the way I looked at it. You know, I looked at it, well, no, I've got to go and I've got to focus on my football, the games that are in front of me, the challenges that are in front of me and, uh, and, and try and face them head on. Oh, definitely. And, and and one thing, uh, do you think this is fair to say then in your time at City, you maybe didn't quite score as many goals as you would have liked, mm. but you scored some very memorable goals. Uh, if I... we think about the goal <clears throat> against United and the one to knock Spurs out of the FA Cup, some some really big absolutely. moments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if listen, I don't like to say regrets and have regrets and, and, and things like that, but it's... You know, when you when you go to a football club, you want to be a success at any football club you you, you play at, at any level uh, as being a footballer. You know, uh, so it was it was difficult. It was very difficult at times. Uh, you know, I had a lot of quite severe injuries, uh, and it's never quite the same. You know, when you when you have a bad injury, you, you know you're fighting it all the time. And and the way Man City was at, at that occasion, they, they signed a lot of players. So they had to, I suppose, they had to justify them plays as well as myself. And, you you know, you're just waiting for an opportunity and you're waiting for, I suppose, your luck to change a little bit. Because when I first went there, you know, the, the, when I first went there and it was in the, the Championship, uh, we were doing really well. We were doing really, really well. League One, we were doing fantastically well at the time. And I was playing, I was scoring, I was, you know, we was, we was progressing quite well. And it was only the start of that season that I got a, a bad knee injury, which, you know, it, it affected me in a way. Yeah, psychologically, what what is that like? Because physically, you can make a, a 100% recovery a lot of the time, but are you shying out of tackles? Does it become a little bit emotionally harder to, to put yourself about like you used to? Well, you know, I don't even think it's that. I think it's you, you, psychologically, you, you, you're always a little bit behind because obviously you've done you missed the pre-season, you've missed the camaraderie with all the lads, you've missed certain games that the lads have been involved in. You know, you're always stepping back into that environment, always. But, you, you know, you've missed a, a big chunk of the season. For me, it was four and a half months, you know, it was nearly five. You know, it was a big part of the season. You know, I'd missed a lot of pre-season. And then, you know, then you get thrown into games when, you you know, you get your fitness back. You never match fit. You never... You, it's very, very difficult to, when you've had a bad injury and you've done all your, your rehab and you've come back in, you know, your first game, you, you, never, you never match sharp. You know, your fitness is never up to the game standard, especially when you're playing in the Premier League at a massive club like Man City with, you know, some fantastic players playing with you. And the demands of, of, of that, the intensity and the demands of the, the actual game, you, you're never going to be quite up to them levels. So you, you're always pushing yourself that little bit extra. Well, I was anyway. I found myself, I was always pushing myself that little bit extra. And then comes with that. And what comes with that is, is extra injuries. You know, Next and then, year. you know, you put, it can be anything as, as minor as, I don't know, a, 
a bruised foot, so you're only out a couple of days, maybe a week, but that week, you know, has a lasting effect. And then, you, you, you know, you're just in your run, so you, then you might pull a calf or an hamstring and then you might be out for 10 weeks or eight weeks. And, you know, it all has a massive effect uh, emotionally, uh, psychologically, you know, yeah, and then and then you, you, you're putting pressure on yourself, more added pressure, right? I've got to get back and I've got to be, you know, I've got to do even better this time. I've got to push myself even harder. I've got to be even fitter when, you know, if you just, if you maybe if you suppose if you took a step back and refocused your, your mind and refocused your energy on, you know, get yourself back to a certain level and, and, and take your time instead of rushing it, which I think I've rushed it quite a lot, you know, to get back and prove myself, prove myself, prove myself, which once again, once I did that, then I was finding myself not being as successful as I wanted to be or not getting the opportunities that I wanted. That's quite interesting, that. Do you think that's something you and we realise when you look back in hindsight, or is that yeah. something you applied later on in your career at all? No, it's something I look back now. Uh, you have you have a lot of time to to look back on your career and look back at certain things and how you did things and uh, when you finished. And it, certainly for me, it's, it, that's that's I know that now. That was a big reason why it wasn't. You know, it, it, injuries affected me all the way through my later later career and so on. But it was. Certainly at Man City, it was, that was that was the case. Because I mean, like I said, you know, when you when you go to a, a club like that, like Man City, you are pushing yourself. You're pushing yourself all the time. You know, it's, I was probably thinking myself, right? Well, I'm pushing myself, but I'm pushing myself to prove to Kevin Keegan. I'm pushing myself to prove to my family and friends. I'm pushing myself myself probably a little bit too hard at times. Yeah, you know, because you 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 push yourself and you didn't have that support, I suppose, to to take a step back and say, no, right, listen, we're just going to refocus ourselves and this is how we're going to do it. Because the physios are, are trying, they've got a job to do as well. And, you know, I feel sorry for them sometimes because they're getting pressure to push players uh, to to get them fit and to get them back in, you know, what's going on, why do you keep breaking down? And sometimes it's not as easy as just saying, well, you know, it's because of this reason. Because, you know, I suppose it's, it's the individual pushing themselves emotionally you know, physically as well, a little bit too much. Yeah, and and you eventually your time at City um, came to pass, and you you decided actually to to make a move for the first time from the north um, to to Crystal Palace. Was it at the time? It was. Yeah. yeah. How did that move come about, and how was it moving away from sort of um, a northwest base and being down in in London? Uh, well, it, it came about. I was actually on holiday, and I got a phone call saying, obviously, Crystal Palace have put a bid in, they've accepted it, and and so on and so on. And then I got a phone call from Crystal Palace. Will I go and do? Uh, will I go and speak to him? Which I did, uh, and more or less over a space of a couple of days, I was doing a medical, and you know, the deal was done. Uh, I think at the time, I think at the time, and I, I, I mean, I, I mean, this, no disrespect to Crystal Palace fans, if you know when I say this, but. It was the wrong move for me. I don't believe I, w- I should have signed. Uh, I felt when I was doing the medical and doing things that gut feeling. I don't think I should sign here. I don't think it, I don't think it's going to be the right move. But you, you know, you tend to do it. It was, you know, I got offered a, a very good contract from Crystal Palace. That all the signs at Crystal Palace was he was going back for promotion again. There were some very talented players. Ian Dow was doing unbelievably well as a manager at the time. And, you know, I just, personally, I think, you know, all of it played a little bit of a part, a part in it, in moving away and I suppose the emotion of leaving Man City, not being as successful as I as a, as a, as a wanted to be. 
uh, played a part in obviously my, my time at, at Crystal Palace. Yeah, so it, it just didn't feel right to you in the end at all, no? It, it, it didn't, no. I mean, it's a fantastic football club, you know, and yeah. it, it really was. And I've still got some very, very good friends who I'm in contact with uh, to this day, you know, there, and uh, good friends of mine. But I, I don't, it just didn't feel right for me personally. And, and you don't like saying that as a, as a professional person. You don't like saying that as a footballer because you want to go and be a successor or you want to go and leave your mark wherever you play. Uh, but I just don't feel it was the it was the right club or you know or move for me at the time, which is it's sad to, you know it's sad for me personally looking back on that now. Yeah, it seems to be um, quite a common theme that's come up when we've done these interviews. We spoke to a, a young lad called Alex Hay who started at Tranmere and went to Rushton and Diamonds, and he just didn't settle at all and ended up dropping out into the non-league. And I think he put he said a lot of the time it was a great contract offer at the time and a big jump up in money, but he just didn't settle in the area and it, it probably was the start of the end for him and he sort of admitted mentally he wasn't really prepared for that. And then yeah. speaking to Jamie Curtin as well, who's had a, a whole host of clubs, most of them, um, have all, well, all of them apart from a loan stint at Barnsley have been down south. And yeah. sometimes you just find that players do better at certain clubs or in, in places that they're comfortable with and I don't think fans can be overly offended by that. It's just some people are a fit. Um, yeah. It seems that when we've been speaking to people, it's very fine margins in football, whether it's success or failure. It can be one decision you make or a move you didn't take. And that seems to be a, a common theme that comes up quite a lot. Yeah, it does. I mean, and just listen, you, you, when you speak to these these players and so forth, they've always had one bad experience, whether it be a loan move, whether it be a sign, you know, signing for a club. And it's always been one that has never felt right for them. And, I suppose the gut feeling, you know, in hindsight, when you you know you get that gut feeling, you you know you should go with it and and not make them decisions because you know who knows. No matter, you know, I had an extra, I had a year left at my, my on my contract at Man City, so you know, in that season, who knows what could have happened? But you know, it wasn't it wasn't to be. Yeah, and and the life of a footballer is often uh, sort of like glorified and glamorized, but it must be difficult to have to move your life and play for that next contract and maybe be really settled in an area and then find out the club's accepted a bid and now I'm moving to a complete new city. Mentally, it's probably a lot more tough than it's made out to be. It is. I mean, you know, these are, people say all the time, you know, football is, is it's a great it's a great life, it's a great career and it is. And, you know, I wouldn't change anything because that defines who you are and where you are now and the person you are now. But, you know, there are difficult times. There are very, there are lonely moments when, you know, you, you especially you know Crystal Palace. You know, I went there and I didn't think I should sign, and I moved my family up there. And you know, I was getting injuries, and I wasn't being as successful. I wasn't getting the opportunities that I, that I believed I was going there for, and it was a new start. And you know, and it's, it, sometimes you you do get in them places where you think to yourself, right, well, it's, ne it's never going to work. This is not it's not going to work for yourself. But you've you've got no you know, you've got no way out really. You know, because you you have signed a contract with that club, and that club is always going to be looking to for you to be a success there. Unless they, you know they, they, they eventually sell you, but it is uh, there is some lonely moments and there is sometimes when you you know you do feel all alone and you you feel as though this I suppose you you're against a, a brick wall you know you, you there's no way to turn you can't do anything. Yeah, and I suppose confidence in football and momentum in football is huge, both both positively and negatively. Sometimes even a bit of a slump, it's hard to turn it around, and equally. 
when you're firing on all cylinders, you don't really think about your actions, do you? They just come so natural, and Absolutely. your personal life can creep into your performances on the pitch. And I think fans can be guilty of not recognising that sometimes. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you, when you're not when you're not confident and you're not playing well, it's, it, it's, it doesn't. <laughs> the, there's nothing worse because you, you you kind of training's difficult. Match days, you, you know, you, when you when you're flying and when you're doing really well, you can't wait for the next game. Soon as you soon when you when you're not confident, you, you, the opportunities that are coming to you, you're thinking, and 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 this is this is a, I suppose the. The, where the emotional side comes into it, and you, you you're quite fearful. You're quite fearful of of getting opportunities, in, especially as a striker, because you if them opportunities come and you miss them again, it's you can feel the the crowd. You can feel everybody, every negative voice aimed at you. You know you can you, you turn around and automatically you see the bench holding their heads. You know how did he miss that? How did he do that? So you you've got that as well. You've got that part to play in it and. You know, I always look at it. It's, it's especially as a striker when you when you are confident, you get there that split second before the defender. When you're not confident, that defender, you just allow that defender to get there just before you. You know, you nearly got there, so it looks as though you, you know, you are trying. But deep down, you you know, you you're not as confident. You're not as sharp, which all plays its part. And it's it's a difficult it's a difficult type. I mean, confidence plays a massive part in football. It always will, and it always has. But it's it, 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 I, I suppose it's. Now, as a as looking at it as a manager and a, and and a coach that I am, I, I try to I try to help when people are not as confident as they are. I try to give them the the confidence, which you, you know it's not easy to thing to do, but just a little bit of belief and just that little bit of pushing, just that little bit of extra encouragement at certain times goes a long, long way uh, to 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 people. You know, just just see the individual for who he is and and what they're trying to do and 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 help them in that way, rather than just looking at what the whole scenario is, you know, and what the whole contract is and what the whole thing you brought this person here for to achieve. Look at the actual individual and what, what he's going through. And that's what I, you know, that's what I try and do. Looking and do back now. Football, I mean, you've got a lot of experience. You've gone from coming through a youth team and reserve at the, probably the biggest football club in the world with one of the greatest ever managers at the helm all the way through your career at different clubs, all the way to managing in, in non-league. And I think it's a lot more confident place for for young players to come through. What was the biggest change you've seen from sort of dressing room at United in the 90s to, to 2020? Uh, I suppose, I suppose the, the levels, I suppose the, you know, I mean, they could be playing 23, 20, well, 22, 21, 22, 23 now in the 21s and, you know, they've never really played a, a, a first-team game. So I, I, I do believe when they do go into first-team dressing rooms and when they do go into that environment, the pressure on them then is going to be a lot more because the, the, the expectation is, is so high. And there is some very talented lads out there now who, you know, who have struggled when they've, when they've been given the opportunity to go out on loan and you find that, Instead of one long move, that really works because they are talented. Then they get the intensity, they get the levels that they need to be at. They they struggle. They really struggle. They really struggle with the the mood in the dressing room. They really struggle with the, I suppose, the demands by certain players, individuals, and demands by the players, the demands by the fans. Because when you're playing in 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 an environment of youth football or 
you know, I suppose under twenty three football, it's 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 not the same demands and it's not the same, I suppose, level of what's the, what's the word the level of uh, commitment, level of just all out belief in in in, in what you what you're aiming to achieve. Would you go back to that old format of proper reserve football? I would, yeah. I mean, this is one thing I don't get with, with you know, when teams and they go down all different levels, 15, 16, 17, 18s, 23s, 21s, and they all have to play the way the first team plays. Well, yeah, that's all well and good, but likelihood of a 17, 18-year-old playing, I mean, when we was taught, we was taught to play it a, a certain way and we it wasn't like you've got to play a 4-3 thing, you've got to play on the right, you've got to be a right wing and you've got to play this way. We... They taught us the, the basics and how how we should be playing and the demands and the intensity of the level that we needed to play at. And that put me in great uh, in, in a great uh, area and a great place when I went to Preston North End because I knew I knew I knew how to play football, I knew the basics, I knew the techniques, what was needed, and then I just needed to fit in how Preston seen me. You know, and I don't think that's that's the, that's the case with with a lot of young professionals nowadays. You know, they they, they taught to play certain ways, and and they only know one way. So I think that you know that that's an area where it could change quite quite a lot. Just picking up on something you you mentioned there when you were you were speaking with Ryan, you you said that you had um, obviously when you moved down to Crystal Palace, you were obviously dealing with um, the emotion of leaving, you know, Manchester City, which is obviously your boyhood club, moving away from home. Um, and potentially having some maybe some disappointments about not quite achieving what you you'd set out to achieve at, at City, and I can imagine at that at, at that time amongst having to sort of up sticks from Manchester and move all the way down to London and and all the rest of it, and it must have been quite a difficult time for you. Did 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 you did you speak to anybody about that at that time and say, look, I, you know, this is quite difficult, or I'm you know feeling this way about it, or was it the, the type not the type of environment where you felt like you could do that? Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't speak to anybody about uh, about that. No, and I don't believe it was the environment that you could uh, you could say that. I don't believe there was. I mean, they listen. They they try and help you uh, as a club by you know, I suppose helping you find an area, help trying to help you settle in, trying to get you in in the group. But if things aren't going so well and you're not really enjoying your time and you're not really enjoying the area, there's there's not really much at that time. There wasn't really much support. It wasn't really much that anybody would, I suppose. What, what's the word? Sympathy to give you. You know, you was yeah. there to do a job, and you was you was a man, so you had to go and do it, and you had to go and front it. Like I said, you had to go and front the bad times rather than you know the good times. In my in my case, but there was never really. Listen, there might have been the support there, but it was never something that at that time in my life I was ever going to go and. You know, go go and speak confidently with with that with with a person there. It was just wasn't happening. You know, you never seem to do it with your teammates. You never seem to do it with a manager or anybody else like that. It just it just didn't happen. Did you feel as though it would be the type of thing that if you were to say, "I'm finding this quite difficult," that you might get almost looked down upon as not maybe not being strong enough to do the job? Yeah, possibly at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah I did. And, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to to any of the coaches that was there or the management team or the actual club. I mean that, you know, in, in a way, personally, I, I believe that that would have happened. I believe that you would have, uh, I suppose, been looked at a little bit weakly, uh, as in, well, we don't think he's strong enough to to continue in and, and to take us forward. And, you know, at the end of the day, I suppose it's, it's the... Uh, 
when when I was growing up, like I said, I was always brave enough to go in front of things, and I suppose to go back to that. I suppose I tried to do that as well when I was there. You know, when I wasn't doing so well and when things wasn't going my way, I still tried to front it, trying to push me way th- myself through it and, and believing that I would, you know, I would make it a success when really, you know, maybe if we would have sat down, refocused, spoke to people about the, the difficulties that you were, you, you were dealing with at the time, then, you know, it might have been a different story. Do you think there's something in Ryan and you were you were kind of talking there about how um, sort of clubs and, and big clubs nowadays are kind of stockpiling players? And I suppose, given that football is such a strange industry compared to most people's um, workplace, because you know another workplace isn't going to buy me and and move me somewhere else in the country. You know, players are like treated like commodities. I suppose. Do you think that's partly? why there might be a bit of an issue in terms of maybe not looking at people like footballers like they're individuals because they're, they're like a product almost. Yep, yep, I do. You know, uh, listen, I think, they, I think they're trying to trying to look at things like this now where they, you know, they are looking at the individual, they are looking at what makes him better, a better player, a better person. There, there, there is, I suppose, programmes there. There is people there that you can go and speak to. There is a lot of health and uh, safeguarding, sorry, there's a lot of psychologists now at football clubs that are that are helping these young these young players. But you know, I, I, I suppose. Do you know what I think? I think I think football clubs should take a bigger role. The ones that you started at, the ones that you you know you progress through. I think they should take a bigger role in in helping you throughout your career. In terms of if you, if, and this is a difficult one because if you get sold or you move on because of any different reason, it's. It, it, I suppose you, you can leave on a, on a bad experience, then they're not going to look after you. But I suppose if you go through a youth system and you go all the way to your sign professional forms, and maybe you know these football clubs should have a duty of care. Where they, if you do come through a difficult time after that, then there is steps that they can take that they can help you, and they can they can try to find reasons why it's happened and find ways to to make to make it better for yourself. I mean, it might be a case where you get injured and you can never play football again. Well, then, if you need that support and you you, you know you need to see psych, uh, psychologists to get through that emotional stage of it, then there's also steps where you can find different pathways in your career. You know, for and that's I'm just talking through injuries, and and you know I do believe that's that may be something that they should look at in terms of when you when you go onto uh, an apprenticeship now or it was apprenticeship when I was there. Or, and, and and you go into the academy levels now. If you're at a club for a certain certain period of time, yeah, absolutely. And at that time, when you would, as you say, when you were having a difficult time at Palace, and obviously you you've moved your family down south and what have you, did you ever feel that kind of you know I don't want to you know it's 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 me who's decided to move down here. It's for my career, you know. And a lot of the thing that we talk about on on this podcast is around sort of ideas of masculinity and 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 what comes with that is sort of ideas of pride maybe as well and do you think there was maybe an element of it oh i can't start complaining now it's me who's moved us all down here that type of thing maybe absolutely absolutely i mean you move your family down there put me kids in school uh <clears throat> so you've got that added pressure where you don't want to let them down you don't want to start moving them up and down the country again and you know moving them from one school to the next school so you know, you you are looking to try and make it a success, and you you know, it's like I said, there is a, there is pressure. There's pressure from all different angles that you you have to deal with it. But 
when you when you when you're a player and when you you know you're a, you're a man, you you just tend tend to just fight it on your own and and think you're going to get through it and you don't ask for help. You just try and well, me personally, I just try to pile through it and and then try and make it a success. Do you feel now that obviously you're you know you're a little bit older now than than you were then? If you were to be go through the situation again, do you feel as though? You would approach it in the same way, or you'd you'd stick your hand up and you'd go, you know, I need, I need a bit of help, or you know, I need to talk to somebody, or even just this is a bit shit at the moment. Can someone just take me out for a pint or something? You know, whatever it might be, just sticking your hand up and saying, "This is not quite going." I'm hoping it to. I would absolutely stick my hand up, and I'd be the, I'd be one of the first, if not the first, to go and ask for help because you know now I look at things. Uh, well, I look at things differently now than I did when I was playing. You know, when I was playing, I always think you always believe that you've got the tools to go and, and make things right. And it's only around the corner, and you don't need help, and you don't need to ask for help. And like you know, like I said before, I'm, I'm, I can try and manage and I try and coach now. Like when I had the individuals that did help me and did take time out to to find out what made me better uh, and built a relationship, I try to I try to do that now and. You know, I wish there was more people like that. I wish there was more when I was when I was going through my career. And, and there is, there is, and there, there is a lot of help out there. But I think now I would have been, I would have been the first to stand up, whether it be a room full of players. I would have been stand up and say, "Listen, I, I, I'm struggling. I need, I need a bit of help here because I'm not finding really comfort. I'm not finding being comfortable being here and training and finding it difficult, and I'm just not settling as well as a, as a, as I think I should be." Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to shift a little bit now towards sort of the end of your career, John. And, and you yeah. moved to um, to Stockport uh, in was it January twenty thirteen? Is that right? I yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. And um, at that time, that the Stockport. I mean, we're we're all Tramley fans, and Stockport spent a long time in the in the same sort of divisions as us. We played them quite a lot, and then yeah. they went through quite a bit of bit of turmoil and. You know, as I say, we, we know what it's what it's like to be supporters of a club when the atmosphere starts to turn toxic and it's really unpleasant. So what was that like as a player to, to be around that type of environment? Do you know what? When I first went there, I went there because uh, obviously I didn't have anything at the time. I didn't have anything since, you know, pre-season and all that. And then I got a call from the, the owner at the time and asking me where to go down. And I did. And I really, really enjoyed my time at Stockport. It was... It, it wasn't doing fantastically well. Results wasn't going fantastically well, but it, it, it was a football club where you could real, you know, you could sense the the passion of the the, the club. Uh, the sorry, the the supporters. All they wanted was just success, or just you know, showing a bit of fight and showing a bit of determination to go and try and win a football match. And you know, it it, it didn't happen. And then then you sense the the disappointment. You know, the disappointment on the. The supporters, the disappointment on the the board, and I, th I suppose when I was there, it was a club that was, oh, we're going to win today. It wasn't a club, or oh, we're going to go in there with the real momentum and real belief that you're going to win a football match. It was kind of, well, do, we don't quite know what we're going to get today, kind of environment, and it was it was challenging, like I say. But you know, the previous seasons had been at you know Walsall, which was fighting relegation, had been at Barnsley, which was fighting relegation. So I kind of I kind of knew what it was what it what the environment would be like and the demands and what it would take to try and to try and you know get out of it. You, you become the reason why the club's failing, don't you? Because you know you're at the forefront of it and you're the the people who are who are there that they can 
show the frustration at and you know shout the shout the anger at uh, why the club is in the the situation as it is. But you know, like I said, I thought I always felt as though it was it was at Stockport. It was always a club that was the fans were good. They was, listen at the end of the day, they 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 had every right to be disappointed and and frustrated and and angry at the way the club was going and the, and the way I suppose the club was run at the time. It, it was it was nothing but turmoil. <laughs> every, every turn I suppose as a player's uh, point of view you, you just go out there and this is what I was trying to tell the lads at the time you just go out and every game becomes the next game the next winnable game you know it doesn't matter what happened in that game if you got beat 3-0 4-0 5-0 matter. it doesn't matter if you win 1-0 2-0 3-0 it's the next game that matters and you know that's what I was trying to I was trying to basically force that, that, that mentality onto, onto the team and the squad yeah, when we did, uh, Ryan mentioned before, we we spoke to Jamie Curriton, uh the other week, and he was, you know, he said, um, you know, he's he's a man who's 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 had a long, long career and, and scored goals almost everywhere he's gone, and and he was talking about how, you know, his enjoyment of scoring goals, you know, in non-league in front of, you know, be it fifty, sixty people, was the same as scoring, you know, in the Premier League in front of twenty, thirty, forty thousand people. What's what is it like scoring a goal like in a stadium? What what's that like? It's, and, uh, to describe it, it's it's well, it's it's an unbelievable emotional, I suppose, adrenaline-filled moment, <laughs> you know, because yeah, it's amazing. As soon as you score a goal, you you celebration, you you know, you're that emotion, you're, you're adrenaline, you you're actually knackered when you're running back to take the kickoff. <laughs> it's, it's one of the weird weird scenarios, but it's. It's a surreal moment, you know. It's it's something that you dream about. Me personally, obviously, being a striker, something that you dreamed about as being a kid, scoring in front of fans, scoring in, in in front of certain areas, scoring memorable goals. Because you know that's what I believe footballs, being a footballer is all about. It's about creating moments for yourself, your family, your friends, your, and supporters of the football club you are. Because fans will ultimately and and supporters will remember their moments. You know they won't particularly remember how much you signed for or what you was earning, but they'll, they'll remember certain moments that you created for them in their, in you know, in their, I suppose, careers of supporting, uh, supporting in teams and no different from yourself. I'm sure you remember a certain player who scored a certain goal at a certain time that was memorable for yourself and that's what being a footballer is all about and that's what scoring a goal it is, creating them moments, creating them memories, creating them special thoughts in your mind when, the air stand up in the back of your neck when you you, you know you recollect it and you, you think about it again. Yeah, no, you, you're not you're not wrong, John. There's 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 plenty of players who've 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 played for Tramir who probably didn't have the best time there or, or wouldn't be the most well known. But you remember a, a goalie scored a big goal or even just a yeah. you know a random one that you remember where you ended up falling down the stairs when he scored or that type exactly. of thing. Um, exactly. You you were once um, scored and got sent off in the same game. Is that right? I did, and it was a funny old game. It was uh, Crystal Palace. It was, I think, it was my first goal for Crystal Palace <laughs> on, Bo- on Boxing Day. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, well, I was obviously playing that game, and uh, I scored the goal, the first goal, and then uh, second half. It was never sending off anyway. I, it was kind of, a, I got in front of the lad, and as I was taking the ball away, your arm goes up, and it caught the lad in the face. And anyway, the ref sent me off. But uh, so. I was uh, banned for three games straight red. What's um, what's what's it like being sent off? Do you get do you, do you get jip in the in the changing rooms afterwards from the from the team for letting them down, or what was that like that experience? No, no, not really. I mean, 
me personally, we won the game two 0 anyway. So it was it was uh, and five minutes later, one of my teammates who <laughs> who lived there about the time came trotting down, and he got sent off as well for complaining <laughs> about me getting sent off. <laughs> we kind of just laughed at each other in the. Uh, in the dressing room, it was, a, it was a funny, it was a funny game that. But as I say, we won the game. It was a, it was a big win for us because Ipswich was doing well at the time. And uh, listen, you, but once again, there going back to it again, I'd started, I'd scored a goal. I don't believe I should have been sent off, but three games later, you know, I, I, I'd missed three games, so it was like getting an injury, really. You were um, before you went to um, to Stockport. You spent a, a short time in Northwest Counties with 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 Northwich. You obviously you were playing for Walsall before that, so you were you were playing for for a, for a decent sized club and still in the football league. Yeah, and dropping down to obviously Northwest Counties. How did that move sort of transpire? Well, he, I knew the owner of Northwich at the time. My son was playing for there. Their youth, you know, uh, and I was going to watch him, and he was always always around. And he just asked me, would I, you know, would, would I go and uh, play a few games for him? Only he only ended up one game actually, as it happens. Uh, but I went to a couple of training sessions, went and helped him out, went and played one game. I think it was Stafford away, uh, and that was it really. So it wasn't really, I wouldn't really say it was a career or it was it was a move to that level. It was just a case of I was just helping, you know, a person out at the time who who, who owned. Northwich, uh, Northwich Victoria Football Club. Listen, that, that wouldn't. That's not to say that I wouldn't have gone and signed for them or I wouldn't have played for them, because it was a, it was a very good club. What is that Manchester derby like? Because we come from from the Wirral, we don't really have much of a derby with anyone. And anyone listening to this at the moment who doesn't quite understand it, back then I don't think there've been too many derbies between them for a, a decent chunk of time. Yeah. What was that like at that moment? You know, around the grounds before the game. It was unbelievable. It was an. It was a. It was once again. It was something that I was. I'd always grown up with. I'd always grown up uh, remembering the derbies, remembering the atmosphere, remembering the buzz around the town. You know, but I was, I'm from Blakely, so the town then, the, the the families, you know, in and around, and then and then the actual game day. It was always. It was always a big day. It was always like a, a cup game, if you know what I mean, or an FA Cup game, an FA yeah. Cup final game. It was always one of them for the derby games uh, when I was growing up. Your dream is to always go and score in a derby. Your, your dream is to go and score the winner in a derby, to score as many goals as you can in a derby, to play in a derby. To get that opportunity was always a, it was, it was a, a moment that I, was, I wanted to do, achieve in my career. I wanted to play in a derby more so than anything. Because it, 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 some special memories, special memories of certain derby games and and so on, and uh, I just remember the, the actual day of the game. It's obviously I, I, I knew I was playing. I told my family and everyone that was playing. I, I had tickets for certain people at the game, and then you you know you you get the obviously. I never was really one to get butterflies or get nervous before games, but I remember I remember feeling a little bit. I was I suppose more excited. You know, more excited for the game rather than nerves. It was more excitement. I just wanted to get started. I couldn't wait for it to get started. The night before, I, you know, I was thinking, oh, God, why can't I just be, you know, could fall asleep and wake up and I'm there and, and it's going to be played because I was I was that excited and I was looking forward to it that much. And, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say we were favourites. I think they was, they was you know, heavily, heavily favourites. And... They had a pretty good team. 
they had a great team. You know, they had an unbelievable team and it was very successful, fantastic players. And, you know, but I always believe we, we, we had a good team at City at the time, you know, and we, we, we didn't have massive belief, but we had a belief that we, we could beat anybody on any given day if we, you know, if we turned up. And, you know, that day was just, uh, it was just one of them moments where I think everything clicked for us. We, the atmosphere was ridiculous, you know, it was <laughs> the, the tension, I suppose, when we was running out and I just wanted to get started. I just wanted to get the game started and, and, and start playing. And But the, the, the atmosphere was unreal. And for yourself, uh, you know, a City fan growing up, having been in United Youth Academy, your family supporting City, you must have been proud walking out on that pitch. I was, I was very proud. I was very proud to, like I say, I was very proud to go and represent City in a derby and, 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 and obviously win the game. It's everything that you dream of as, as a lad growing up. You know, if you play in a derby and you play for either either team in a derby, it's it's something that you'll you'll treasure. And it's something, like I say, it's them moments again. It's them memories that you're creating for yourself and for your, your, your everybody else, your supporters. You, you know that it's it's one thing that you, as a footballer, you want to do. You want to go and score goals. Yeah, you want to play in big games. You want to go, but you want to create these memories. You want to create these memories and these moments that people will always remember. And, you know, that for me personally, that was one of them. And for yourself, that, that game went brilliantly for you. You know, you've you've scored the second, I think. I scored the second, yep, yeah, I did, yes. yeah. What was that like? You know, well, 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 I think when you when you see the but when you see the ball at the back of the net, I think when honestly, as a, when you're a striker, as soon as you hit a ball, sometimes you, you kind of know it's going in. Yeah. And I think when as soon as I hit it, as I, I spun and I hit it, I kind of seen where it was going, and you you, you kind of as soon as it hits the back of the net, that's, that's your relief, that's your your adrenaline, that's when you go and support and that you know all your your emotion comes out and you think right, okay, then fantastic, got your goal, then you want to go and win the game. And you did win that game. And in that team, you've got, you had Robbie Fowler, yeah. you're managed by Kevin Keegan. Yeah. Did you yeah. have Steve McManaman there as well? Yeah, he was there. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips, he was playing at the time. You know, we had Paul Bosfeld, Richard Dunn. Uh, we had some good, uh, Sylvan Distan. Uh, we had some, we had, a, we had a good team. We had a really good team at time. And you know what? <laughs> And it, it, like I say, I suppose in a way you look back at it and you, you think, well, you know, we underachieve really as a as a as a team and as a club at that at that period. But you get to walk off that pitch past Alex Ferguson, having played for his youth academy, having seen him and met him and and been around him as a you know working with him as a colleague. Yeah. Did he say anything to you? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. I didn't. Uh, I don't think. I, I think he must have gone in before I I was over at that uh, that that place where you know you obviously shake hands but I shook hands with all you know a lot of the players that I know uh that I was there when I was there obviously in the youth set up and the reserves and so on and you know they said well done well done well done and just like you normally do but you know more, more so than that they want to get off the pitch because they just lost the derby and you know four one as well especially uh and it was the first derby for us at the at the new stadium so it meant a lot to us to them they obviously wanted to get the the bragging rights and, and beat us there the first derby but it wasn't to be for them, so they just wanted to get off the pitch and, I suppose, get their rollicking off uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, where we wanted to stay on the pitch and, and celebrate with the supporters. <laughs> and you, you talked about goals before with Danny. Um, Trevor Sinclair once famously came out and said, scoring a goal in the derby is better than sex. Do you agree with him? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what Trevor was going on about there, but uh, <laughs> it can be at times. <laughs> 
And recently, you uh, you put a little picture up on uh, on Instagram yeah. with uh, a certain well world famous footballer in the background, looking very crestfallen. Yeah, well, got a bit of a got a bit of heat there. It did, you know. And at the end of the day, it was it was a memorable picture. And once again, you know, that's a memorable picture for me because it's one you can, you know, you can look back on. You can tell people, well, look who I played against, arguably the greatest player the world at the moment and one of them of all time you know so it was it was a special moment when you've got him with his hands on his hips and you running off celebrating scoring a goal in a derby that meant a lot to to everybody so it was uh, I did get a bit of a sticker you know apparently one newspaper was saying I was I was mocking him and I was trolling him or something like that some to them terms both of them but it was nothing of that it was just a memorable moment for myself in in my uh in my career, and, and you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with celebrating that. And it is a cracking picture. I've just looked it up before. It, it really is really good. Um, yeah. And you played under quite a, a, a kind of different few managers. You know, different styles in in how they act and how they play the game. You look at Kevin Keegan. You look at um, Billy Davis, David Moyes. Completely different on the pitch. Were there, were there any differences between them? Off the pitch as well. well I think I think they've all got different uh, differences. They've all got differences in terms of the way they the way they want to manage, the way they are individually. I think Kevin Keegan was, was such a motivator. You know, he always tried to motivate you. He always tried to get the best out of you by by making you believe you was you, you were superior. You know, you he was he was fantastic at that. He was he, he was really really good as in a person. You know, when it comes to David Moyes, he was, you know, he, he was very intense. Same with Billy Davis, very, very intense in what they wanted you to do and how they wanted you to play, and and you know, to, the 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 direction they wanted the football club and the the team to to go in. And you know, they all had the strengths. And you know, I suppose when you, I'm not one to try and look for weaknesses and try and point them out. I, I'd rather look at the strengths and try and make the strengths even better. And and like I say, the individual who is. David Moyes, he personally took time out to try and help me and try and make me become a better player. So I think you always look back at that and they're the ones that you remember because as a, as a, as a, as a player, they're the coaches and the managers that you remember, the ones that really took time out to try and find out what you was like as an individual, what made you tick, what made you a better player, what, what, what encouragement did you need, what, what basically, how, 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 how am I going to make you a better player? You know, and and they're the ones that you remember in terms of your coaches that you've had and your managements that you've had. And, you know, David Moyes was definitely one of them. Yeah, and it's something that's said about those those type of managers a lot. And the one thing you you said there was Kevin Keegan's a, a brilliant man motivator and it was something mm-hmm. that he was renowned for throughout his career. Yeah. Um, the one game I can remember, the comeback at White Hart Lane, yeah, half time in that dressing room. Can you give us a bit of a an insight into what that was like? Well, funny enough, that was one game that he didn't really see anything at half time. <laughs> and you know, yeah, people always bring it up. At, uh, you know, ask me the question all the time. What was you know what was said? And you know, at half time, very very little was said. People might people might read it, uh, speak it differently, and say different things. But me personally, I remember it as. There wasn't much said. It was kind of, listen, lads, just go out and try and give a good account of yourself. And that was it. You know, it was kind of the lads trying to G each other each other up. At, uh, come on, let's keep going, let's keep going. I remember walking out to walking out a little bit early on. We was in the tunnel and all we could hear was the City fans singing. 
and they were just singing and singing and it was it was kind of surreal because we we thought how can you sing about that performance you know how can you still be encouraging us and just keep but that supporters for you especially city supporters unbelievable they've had some terrible times as opposed to support as support in man city but they've had some fantastic times as well and you know at that that particular moment we was we was awful absolutely awful <laughs> for that first half Mike, literally the first two minutes because i was sub you see and nicholas and elka came off i think he was two nil down Soon as I came on, two minutes later, three nil. It was kind of, oh, God, <laughs> so what can you do to this? Because as a substitute, you always want to go and try and make a difference, don't you? But you know, when I was coming on, that was it was just the first half that I don't think any player turned up, and nobody could take that first half performance and look back and think. Apart from the goal, I think the goalie made a few decent saves uh, that first half to keep the score just at three nil. And then anyway, you know, it was in the tunnel. We heard the score and they were singing. We so, thought. You know, surreal, really surreal moment when we heard him singing, and it kind of lifted you a little bit. You know, and I suppose subconsciously you look back at it now and you think, well, that might have played a possibly played a big part in us, in us getting the or playing the second half the way we did, with the with the belief that we could, you know, we could go out and we could achieve something. This is definitely. I've always thought this because I've seen. I mean, I've seen my team Tramia lose to away teams who've had like sixteen fans in the ground. And yeah. we've lost one nil, and I'm thinking, well, we've got more fans in them. Surely there's more encouragement. Do you notice the? Do you actually notice the encouragement from those fans all the time, or is it just when you kind of like focus on it? No, you, no. You, well, you, like I said, you know, I said earlier on, you, you you feel the negativity sometimes. You feel the negativity sometimes when when things aren't going particularly well for yourself and the team, and you also feel the the encouragement and the, I suppose the. The, the drive, you know, the drive when they're really driving you on and they're really pushing you to try and go and to go and succeed, to go and be successful, and to go and win a win a football match. And when, when you are doing well and you are pushing that, and you, you, I mean, we've all seen it. We've all seen certain games. We've all seen numerous situations where you know you might be one down, and you, you get that little bit of momentum and you get that little bit of encouragement, and then you go and win the game two one, and you know that, and you, and the crowd sense that as well. But you know, as being a player, you do feel that. You do feel that, that 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 from the crowd as well, that expectation and that that drive when when they sense a little bit of, uh, I suppose I suppose success coming and and then the victory. You know, you do sense that off a team, not the support. Sorry. Yeah, and obviously I mentioned you've you've been under all these like different managers and really really good managers. You yourself, you've mentioned you do a bit of managing and coaching. You were at Radcliffe Borough earlier this year. Yeah, um, yeah. Is there anything that you specifically take from from any of those managers in the way they acted or the the, the training that they did into your yeah. Own management you're, game? Yeah, you. I think you've always got to be your own manager. I think you've always got to look at yourself and and find out what basically having you and what direction you want to go as a manager and how you want to coach and how you want to set your teams out and and so on. You do take little bits from every manager uh, and coaches. Yeah, you do take that. And you do try and, I suppose, adapt and, and manipulate the, the things that they've done to, to try and to fit into how you want to manage. Uh, but, the, you know, this, I suppose you, if you're not yourself and, you're not, and, you, and you try and mimic somebody else, it's, it's never going to be true. You're never going to be true. You know, you're never going to be a true person to yourself and you're never going to be true to your players. And, and, and players have got a, a, a good knack of, of working people out very, very quickly and, you know, and sensing what that person is about and what he's like, and 
you know, if if they find, you know, if if you if you're a player and I've been in certain situations where the managers have got coaches have come in and they, they, you've kind of sensed straight away that they're they're not honest, you know, they're not they're, they're not honest with you, they're not being honest with you, so you sense it and you you have a little bit of a standoffish approach to them them type of people. So I think as a manager. You you have got to go in and you've got to be honest and you've got to be true to yourself and and they and they pick up on that. I think they do and I, I think I think in any kind of walk of life, if, if you act in that way as you've just said, I think people kind of value you a lot more as well. Yeah. So that's really good. Um, just finally, John, um, if you were you know you've had a, a illustrious career really you know twenty years in the game. If you were looking back at your younger self, that teenager who was just about to put sign for United, what would you tell him? What would I tell him? I'd tell him, be careful who you trust. (laughs) 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 Listen, there's a lot of people out there who are looking out for number one, aren't they? And there's a lot of people who who are, I suppose, listen, it is a selfish game. And it's always going to be selfish because as much as as a team game it is, you are looking out for yourself individually. Because if you do well individually, then you'll do collectively well but there is a lot of selfish people out there and you know me personally I've been very trusting all my career I've been one who trusts people a little bit too much so I'd be I'd be the first to tell myself listen be careful who you trust look out don't chase things let things come to you and and basically don't rush things don't rush your comeback don't refocus yourself take a step back and reassess you know and it's very, very easy to do that now when I'm 42 years of age. But when you're 19, you just want everything to come at you straight away, you know. And yeah. I suppose I'd, I'd look at trying to cherish every every moment of it because I got told once, actually by Gary Parkinson, uh, who were room with when I was at Preston, you know, it, <laughs> it'll soon finish. And I was thinking, nah, not for me. I'm 19. I've got so many years left and here I am now. You know, and it, it's a very, very short game and it does finish. So I cherish every moment that being on the bench, being left out, watching the games from the stands, when you're injured, looking at it from all different avenues and when you're playing especially, cherishing every moment and cherish every moment and, and want to play every minute of every game and want to train every minute of every day that you have the opportunity to do, you know. Sometimes when there's opportunities to rest and you're pushing, you're out there and you, you feel as though you need a rest go and try and train and you know that's I suppose that's contradicting myself a little bit by saying refocus and taking a step back but I suppose I'm just looking for the emotional side of it where I just wanted to I want to be back in it and I want to play every minute of it and every second of it now Welcome back hope you enjoyed John's interview I've still got Ryan and Ant in the virtual studio with me Ant John Macken quite the career Yeah it's superb isn't it and you can tell how much he, he... He valued that career as well. He just you listen to him talk, and I think this might have helped. He had the video camera on um, all the way through, so I just got to look at his face. And you <laughs> could see was how happy he was uh, talking about that career, and how particularly when you're asking him about the times at City, um, he, he just seemed genuinely made up that he he played for them and then scored in the derby as well, and. You know, it, it seems he seems like a really top guy as well, and it couldn't have happened to anyone nicer, really. Yeah, I agree, and I think for somebody like John McEnany, who obviously, as you say, played for his boyhood club, and you know, he's had, he had some issues with with injuries throughout his career, which he detailed how difficult that time can be, but still looks back on it in in, in a positive light and taking that into management now, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Um, 
what you've just said there about maybe not hitting the heights with the injuries at City. If you're not going to score as a striker as many goals as you want to, then at least make some memories and he can certainly look back in his career with some fondness on some big moments, the, the goal against United in a 4-1 win. I think it was the first time they beat them in a while as well. He's then scored the winner in that unbelievable uh, FA Cup comeback away at Spurs, the second greatest ever FA Cup comeback after Tramia Southampton. So the, the, the sort of romance of football, it, it ties in nicely because you could score 15 to 20 goals at a club for a, a year or two and, and not achieve anything and finish mid-table and probably be easily forgotten about. But or you can have a stint like John McInnes and, and have those moments that will live with you forever. Which, which they obviously will, um, and the fans certainly won't forget them. I find them quite interesting, John Macken, because I think we've had a lot of people have made sort of references to Alex Hay and John Macken having sort of similar periods uh, in football, although obviously John went on to have a longer career. I find it quite interesting that it seems to be the when the player is younger, because you're only looking after yourself. The pressure's almost off you in a strange way, but as you get older and maybe you have a girlfriend or a wife and children and your next move becomes a little bit harder because you're not just looking at yourself, you're looking at where your family's going to move to and the pressures that come with that. So it's easy to just assume it gets easier as you get older, but I'd almost argue it's the other way around. I'm not too sure what you think of that, but that's what almost came across um, when listening to John. I don't know about you lads, but is it made you kind of think differently about when we turn up on a Saturday and someone's having a bit of an off day? Maybe what might have happened the night before, the week before? I think it's changed some of my perspectives on it, certainly. It's made me feel differently about the younger players, uh, particularly when John was talking about the emotional uh, side of it, going from being a youngster in Man United's reserves, or A and B teams as you called them, to going into the first team into a team that's not winning games um, and into a team, from a team that was winning a lot, you know, that, that United's reserve team and youth team won everything. Um, so when he, when you're going in, into that environment, it has kind of changed my view on how the, the younger players are viewed. I think the older ones, I'm not sure whether I, I, I'd agree that, it's changed my view because I feel like they're more better equipped. I know they're dealing with a lot more um, different variety of things like Ryan was touching on before, but certainly the younger ones, um, it has, has definitely changed my opinion. Um, you know, when, when John said it, you know, going from, from United to Preston, Preston were a team that needed to go and win games um, in a fantastic stadium, a fantastic uh, city as well. And a city really loves his football and a historical um, club as well. That pressure to win or that pressure when you lose, trying to deal with that, that must be quite tough when you haven't had that experience a lot before. Yeah, that's a good point. I think one thing that I picked up on, which I thought was interesting, particularly given some of the stuff that we talked about with Luke on Monday, was when we were talking about Luke was saying football is obviously sort of hyper-confidence, hyper-self-assured. And John was talking about when he'd go through those difficult periods in terms of goal scoring, almost being fearful of getting the opportunities, maybe not wanting the ball, and you know thinking more about what happens if I miss rather than what happens if I score. 
and Ryan, I suppose for us as sort of lads who, you know, we go to mass, but we we all go to work Monday to Friday, and we've all had off days at work. Probably me more than most. And sometimes you do just question, you know, you go, ah, oh, I need to learn from that, or oh, I need to do better than that. And it might make you question yourself, but normally you don't have to do it in front of twenty five thousand people, do you? No, um, and I must admit, <laughs> as people may or may not be aware, we went on a soccer AM. Um, <laughs> risked our um, social status by doing that volleys game and unfortunately I didn't score any of my three first one I absolutely shanked it and I must admit I was thinking about it for days afterwards and that was just because of my own nature I like to be a bit competitive and obviously you, you see people in, like, uh, in the pub and I say fucking hell, I thought you were good at football and stuff like that and you, it gets <laughs> in the back of your mind and you end up thinking Imagine that was even like no one's bothered about soccer AM and, and I shouldn't be bothered about it, but imagine doing it at that level, mm. being a professional and missing a chance and it not just ruining your weekend, but people at the game, it ruining theirs. Like you're not just affecting your own mood, whether that's right or wrong. Football fans need to realize that players are only human, but it's weird that. Your actions will affect the mood. Like we've all been to football and come home and either been elated or disappointed or even furious. Or I mean, football brings people to tears. Now imagine being directly responsible for that. I don't think that they should, the players should bear than that. But I'm just saying it's a byproduct of the nature that is football, whereas it's a results-driven business. And I just think that is a peculiar. Um, almost pressure to have on your shoulders and one that you would never really experience in any other walk of life unless unless you sort of experience it in a, in a sporting environment. So I just think you can see why it get on top of you. You can also see the good in it while when you've got positive momentum, you can almost not do wrong. Um, and I think some of the cleverer players, and we've seen it down the years at Tram, yeah, are good at maybe creating a bond with fans so that on them days they have an off day, they may be a little bit more forgiven. And we yeah. had a player you might remember, Eddie Sonko, who was a bit yeah. of a cult hero because he used to wave at the fans in the middle of a game randomly. <laughs> but he was pretty bang average for Tramia, and that's putting it politely, apart from maybe that one assist he got for Baz Savage away at Warsaw, which is fondly remembered. And yeah. that, that that's the funny thing with football. like Fans' perception is... It's not always an accurate one. They don't see how hard you work Monday to Friday. They don't feel the pain that you play through, what's going on in your personal life. Um, and I suppose their attitude towards it probably is, we don't care about that. For 90 minutes, you should represent my team. Yeah. Um, you, you see it when the team's playing badly. You're not fit to wear the shirt is often the, the song. And you think, just think about that comment deeply. Yeah. You never do. I've sang it myself, but you're not fit to represent my team. Um, and that's just purely based on the emotion and that goes into those 90 minutes and it doesn't take in the 99% of life that goes on outside of those 90, 90 minutes. Yeah, interesting you should bring the volleys up there, Rai. And um, we've heard from Ryan there about his, his record in the volleys. What was what was your final score with, with the old vols? Don't entertain it. Uh, <laughs> if the goal was bigger, it would have gone in. So th is that a zero then? I'm just saying, if the goal was bigger, it would have gone. <laughs> okay. That's fine. That's fine. It's a shame there isn't two of you, so you can ask yourself how you did, because me and Anton are going to ask you how you did. So, 
That's that's absolutely fine. It's interesting you should say two because that's how many volleys I saw <laughs> uh, on that morning. Um, I think one other thing I picked up on that John was talking about was injuries. You know, yeah. maybe little whispers from the football world about how difficult it can be when you when you're an injured player and, and managers back in the day almost being completely dismissive of players when they were injured. Now I don't think John's experience was was quite as extreme as that, but he talked about sort of those issues that you might have when you're pushing yourself to get back. And the injuries that can occur on the back of that, and then the, you know, the, the kind of breakdown that you have from that. In so much as you've worked, you know, six months to get back, and then your first game back, you pull the hamstring, you're out for another three weeks, and psychologically that must be really difficult. I suppose, and in terms of the criticism that players get for being injured, and you see it quite a lot. Players like Michael Owen, um, trying to think of some. Joe Cole was another one who got got criticism for being injured a lot. Uh, Darren Anderton, so obviously nicknamed Sick Note. It's incredibly harsh, isn't it, to, to criticise people purely because they keep getting injured? Yeah, the Darren Anderton one's a famous one, isn't it? Yeah. Jack um, Welch is another one. Yeah. Um, I think there's a little bit more to, to, to Jack Welch yeah, <laughs> uh, than that. But it, it is, it is, it's a shame, though, as well, at the same time. And I think that frustration comes out because certainly from fans, because you want to see them play. Yeah. So when they're, when they're not playing, it's like, oh, he could be really, really good. But I don't see enough of him because he's he's getting injured. With uh, Just touching on Michael Owen, I think it's a bit different with Michael Owen because I think he was burnt out by the time it was 2005. And I think no one quite realised how bad that was. Um, but again, I think it's just pure frustration. The fans want to see the best players. They don't want to see stand-ins. They don't want to see the ones who aren't going to get them off the seats. They want to see the best ones. And I think it's just utter frustration. You know, we've had a, I've, we've had a few who've, who've had a lot of injuries, and it's just gutting. And it must be gutting for the player as well because, you know, as Macken said there, he's. he's you know, he's trying to run differently to to not get injured. Yeah, you know, that's crazy because you can just tell it's just not a natural thing for them to to basically have to rehabilitate themselves every however many months it it is. And um, with it being such a physical game, and and football is very um, very reactive. If someone comes and takes your place, it's very very hard to get back in. John Macken spent quite a lot of time in the northwest of England, but he did make that one move down to, to Crystal Palace from Manchester City. Yeah, I, I, and it, it almost seemed like it was a bit of a regret from John as well. And that wasn't a personal dig of Palace. He said, that's a great club. I think a lot of people who don't support the club can see what a good club it is as well. It just it wasn't the right move for him. And I think he felt pressured to take that move at the time. The club have accepted a bid. They feel like they want you out, and it's almost like the decision's been made at that point. What I would say is a lot of football, whether it's management or playing, it's about being in the right place at the right time. And it seems almost harsh that players have such small amounts of thinking time to to plan the next stage of their life. I think you touched on earlier, Dan, that, um, well, in the interview, that you wouldn't have another work bid for you in the same way a football player's bid for uh, bid for and I think yeah. that's quite true because if if a recruiter did come up to you saying try and poach you from your work you'd probably be given an adjustment period a time to interview a time to speak to their potential bosses then you'd be able to save your notice that could be a three-four month process 
for you to get your life in order to take that job role. With footballers, you even see it on like transfer deadline day, which we almost glorify now, where it, deals are getting done in the last three hours. Yeah. Now, for us looking at fans, you go, well, someone's offered for him, he's earning good money, why wouldn't you take it to play first-team football? But imagine having a kid in year one, a kid in year three, in the northwest of England, and suddenly you've got a few hours to tell your wife and your kids that you're going to go to London and they're going to have new school friends and they're going to have to do everything again for the first time. It must be a terrifying point in your life, but the other option is you stay where you are. You rot in the reserves maybe for six months and your career and reputation is damaged off the back of it and maybe your next move or your next offer isn't high up on the table. Uh, so I think the way football conducts its business and its transfers, it's like no other in it. It's hard, really, because one bad move can make or break you. Equally, one good move could make you. But, um, yeah, I just felt I felt like that's something a player doesn't really realise until he looks back on. And um, you could almost sense yeah. that in the way John was talking. And we'll be back again on Monday with Dr Dan Parnell from the University of Liverpool talking some football finance. Remember, you can find us on Twitter uh, at Mark and underscore man and use the hashtag Where's the Talking Lads. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever else that you get your podcasts. We're on Acast now as well. And if you do like the shows, if you are enjoying them, then then give it a little like, give it a review on, on iTunes or whatever the platform is that you use. So we're now going to leave you with John Macken's Quickfire. Thanks for listening. Oh. <clears throat> right, John. During your playing career, what was your favourite chant, either about you or just one that you heard? My favourite chant? Oof. Probably Super Johnny Mackin when I was at Preston. I loved that one because <laughs> you know I remember them all singing it when I scored the goal against City. So it was it was surreal. Though, like more or less the whole stand singing it. I love that one, that song. That always makes me makes me happy. Makes me feel happy. Yeah, good, good. I like that. Can you uh, you give us a little rendition of it, John? Come <laughs> 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 <Go> on. <laughs> if you could have played with any player from history, who would it have been, John? Diego Maradona. Oh. Would you have partied with him as well? <laughs> <laughs> I want to say no, but... <laughs> I don't think he'd have let you make that decision. <laughs> Who was your favourite strike partner that you played with, John? Favourite strike partner? Do you know what? I'd have to say David Ely. Yeah. Oh. I'd have to say David Ely because we, we had a really good relationship on and off the pitch. You know, we was, uh, we was close off the pitch as well and and we, uh, we, I just think we, we, we connected, you know, we, we really, really connected when we was playing and it was one of them times when you kind of work in, in sync, you know, he knew what I wanted and I knew what he wanted and it was, it was, it was a good, it was a good, it was a good partnership that we had there at that time. Who was the toughest defender you ever came up against? Sammy Hoopier. Unbelievable player. Everything I tried to do, he knew what I was doing, and God knows how. But he was, he was, a, he was tough, tough as anything. He was. I just thought he was a, he was a fantastic player. Uh, <laughs> I've just seen which question this is. <laughs> uh, who's the better striker, you or David James? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, obviously, I'm going to say me, but I'm sure sure Pierce will say David James. <laughs> I've got a second question. Who's the better goalkeeper, you or David James? <laughs> Definitely me. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was a, do you know what? James was a top lad and he was a, he was a fantastic goalie. You know, he was uh, 
we used to I used to do a lot of shooting practice, just me and Jamo as well. And and you know, so uh, I got on really well with Jamo, you know. And I think when listen, when a manager has to do what uh, asked him him to do what he did, he's always gonna say it, he's always gonna do it any, but I don't think absolutely he's just, just one of them stupid stupid things that happens in football, isn't it at times, I suppose. John, what's your um, what's your favourite chippy tea? Favourite chippy tea? Do you know what? I've got I like chips, peas and gravy, but I also like pudding chips and gravy. When you say pudding, you mean a pie, don't you? No, I mean steak and kidney pudding. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been told. right in your place there, Adam. That's your language barrier. Sanji High, Sibierski. Plowing on, squeeze it to Tarnat. There was just a bit of tugging on Macken. He scored! Oh, John Macken! Tottenham Hotspur three, Manchester City four. They have made the impossible possible. Depleted, but delighted. Well, I've seen it, but I still don't believe it. What a ball in from Tarnock. And they don't deal with it. They've got a huge back three in there, three huge lads. But they don't deal with the cross. And John Mackin, who might have won the, the first right game up at Manchester and didn't, plants a wonderful header. I mean, the quality of the finishing tonight has just been unbelievable. A pie, not a pudding. <laughs> I love that you've definitely been waiting to say that for as long as I've been talking. <laughs> I know, yeah.